0: Hey, uh, so I don't know if you've noticed this, every single fall, there is this, um, there's a tone that, that takes place just in our lives. And it's this idea of, you saw it on the screen, you see it on the screen, back to, right? There, there's a very real back to in our lives. Fall represents the beginning of things, which is, it's interesting because we're used to New Year's being a beginning, and it certainly is. But fall is when some big picture stuff begins, Right, We've got back to school, which I'll come back to that in a moment, um, with, with uh, the, the lapse of the eviction, the eviction moratorium. In other words, uh, landlords are now able to evict people again, and I don't know if you saw the unemployment report a couple of weeks ago. 10 million open jobs, 8.4 million, I believe, unemployed. But with that moratorium ending, you're, you're going to see people going back to work. So we've got back to school, we've got back to work. Personally, um, as, as things begin to open up after this pandemic, um, I, I gotta be honest, there's something in me that goes, hey, we're back to Netflix. Like, I had seen Net, Netflix's entire library. Did you feel like that in the pandemic? I think I memorized every line from every show, and so we've got some new programming. That's nice. Back to football, back to crowds at football games. Uh, let me just... Okay, I'm just going to tee off here for a minute. You know what made me so mad during the pandemic? It, it was not some it was some of the big global issues, but you want to know what made me really mad is I would watch a football game that I knew the stands were empty and they're trying to make me feel like there's a giant crowd cheering. Did you notice that? I just started yelling at the TV. It was it was terrible. Anyway, Well, I mentioned back to school, and uh, this year in particular, back to school means something a little bit different in our house, because we have got a freshman daughter in high school, which you know what that means? What does the fall bring in high school? Boys, yep, yep, it does do that. Uh, and, And related to that, homecoming, homecoming. And so homecoming is becoming the topic of discussion in our house. By the way, I'm telling you all this because she's next door helping in children's ministry right now, so um, I'm just going to apologize later. Anyway, um, yeah, homecoming. And so this, this conversation about homecoming dresses is coming up, and um, you can imagine we've got some kind of different perspectives on, on what her homecoming dress is going to look like. And so um, to, to get her to think like us, I said, listen, Lainey, mom and I would like to help you buy your homecoming dress, as long as it's one of the following three options, okay? And so here's option number one. Take a look. Here we go. Yep. I think it's perfect. I don't think we need to look at any further. Um, that is actually a $1,000 dress at Saks Fifth Avenue. No joke. I'll send you the link if you're interested, okay? If we implement a dress code here at the church, that, that, we're not going there, okay? Okay. Um, if she doesn't like that, here's option number two. Right there, all right? It is COVID safe and uh, covers everything, all right? Uh, I am also, if she doesn't like options one or two, um, we've also proposed this solution right here. There we go. That might be my favorite, an evening of jousting, okay? so. In fact, let's just do this. Since she is next door, we could decide as a congregation right now. How many, how many for Little House on the Prairie dress? Okay. How many for the uh, biohazard suit? And the coat of armor? All right. She is going to be so excited when I tell her after service. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, this is back to, right? You know, even next Sunday, there's, a, there's an actual national, nationally recognized day here in America, and I think this began in the last five, six years. It's National Back to Church Sunday, which strikes me as personally a little odd. I, I hope we don't need a national day, but um, if it serves as a reminder to get people back in church, that's great. But I guess, I guess what comes along with that inside me is I think of this idea of us getting back to back to school, back to work, back to church, back to whatever in our lives, uh, the question is not so much what we're getting back to, but how. How are we getting back to? In other words, what posture are we coming back to all the things that we do with? Because if you think back to before the pandemic, isn't, isn't there some truth to the idea that um, it was a little chaotic? And many people have talked about their calendars and how full they were. And honestly, while nobody wished a pandemic or a COVID COVID on anybody, it was nice to clear our calendars a little bit, wasn't it? It was nice to breathe. It was nice to sit back. And and so for a few weeks, as we come back to church, as we begin to get back to a routine this fall, whatever it's going to look like, We can all agree it's not going to be back to normal the way we understood normal before. But there's a back to that we're going to go about in our hearts. And we're going to go about it in a certain way. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to talk about some back tos. But before we even get to some of the specific back tos for us, and some back tos that Jesus actually spoke about, that would be healthy for all of us, both individually and as a church, I want us to ask ourselves, how am I getting back to? What's going on inside me as I get back to, and this morning, I want to, I want to read from part of a letter, um, and it actually, it's a letter that makes up an entire book of the Bible. It's actually one page, and it's, it's the, Paul's letter to a man named Philemon, okay? Now, Philemon was a, a man who, in the early church, the, the church um, at, at Colossae met at Philemon's house, okay? Paul had planted this church, and they would meet at Philemon's house, well, Philemon had actually a slave, and his slave's name was Onesimus, okay? I know you got to keep up with all these names, but Philemon had this slave named Onesimus, and Onesimus, you you can just imagine for a moment, this church is meeting at the house that he was a slave at every single time they gathered, and for him, as he thought about Christians, and as he encountered Christians, I would imagine a very different thought came to him than maybe did for Philemon, and it was work. Okay? Now, can you just stop and pause for a minute? We can, we can relate to this. Christians are work. Yes? Some of you are pointing right now, and, and the truth is somebody could point at you as well, and they could point at me. See, we could look at one another and understand we are all work for somebody. But for Onesimus, for for those early church gatherings would have meant something very different for him. It meant cleaning to do, and it meant meals to prepare, and it meant errands to run. And on top of it, I imagine he may have been, and I'm I'm, I'm, um, speculating here a little bit, but I I imagine he would have been in the room and he would have been hearing these Christians talking about freedom and talking about liberty over and over and over. And at some point, we know from Paul's letter, because he references this event that happens, Onesimus got sick of it. And Onesimus had had his fill. And so Onesimus actually stole from Philemon. He stole some money to finance his getaway. And Onesimus ran. And as he ran and he looked around, he finally found uh, some safe haven, or so he thought, in Rome. Rome was this favorite destination for runaway slaves. And then you just sit here and you think, here's God's hand in all of it. For all that Onesimus thought he was running away, guess who Onesimus runs into? Paul. Paul. Paul is imprisoned in Rome. We don't know the circumstances of the meeting. We don't know if Onesimus was thrown in, in jail with him, or if they just encountered one another because Paul would just preach while he was in chains. And we don't know if Onesimus heard him through an open window or door and came and sat and listened or what it was. But as they began to converse, you know what Paul got to eventually? Onesimus. You know, you gotta go back to. You gotta go back. You've got to go back to Philemon, where you were once a slave. You got to get back to. And as I read from this letter, I think there's something so obviously we don't have their exact circumstances, but there is something every single one of us has to be reminded of as, as we read this letter to Philemon. As Paul writes to Philemon, he speaks about Onesimus. Here's what he has to say. And Philemon, you actually don't really even have a chapter. It's just verses. Okay, so we'll call it chapter 1, but this is all there is. So in verse 8, here's what Paul has to say. He says to Philemon, although in Christ I could be bold, in order you to do what you ought to do, did you hear that have to language right there? I could say you have to. Here's what he says. I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, does this mean he adopted him as an bio- adoptive father? No. What this references is Onesimus, while sitting there, conversing with Paul, listening to Paul, Onesimus has become a Christian onesimus has given his life to jesus see he he was around christians before in philemon's house but now he's given his life to christ and he says i'm gonna i'm gonna follow him he became my son while i was in chains this is paul i want you to catch what's going on here paul's saying look philemon i could deal with you the way you deal with onesimus That is a master-slave relationship. And we know that Philemon owed, he owed Paul something because Paul was the one who brought him to Jesus. It's kind of like I still think about the guy who invited me to church, who brought me here, who exposed me to Christianity and I began to learn. There's just a special debt of gratitude inside my heart for him. And it could be, we could all probably say some version of that, couldn't we? And so Paul says to Philemon, I could deal with you the way you deal with him. I could say, you have to. It's a have to relationship. As Onesimus Onesimus says, you go back to, you could gravitate to have to. Oh, I have to clean for these people. I have to make meals for these people. I have to run errands for these people. Have to, have to, have to. And his master could say, you have to, you have to, you have to. Now I want you to pause for a minute. Isn't that where we live? When we think we know what's best for somebody, isn't it easy to live in the have-to? This, is, this, this would explain maybe why we get so frustrated, especially over the last year and a half. You know, I, I yell at announcers on a football game because I sit there and I, I want to tell them, look, don't, don't feed me crowd noise, okay? Don't do this. Don't act like that. We all have this. See, that's sin inside of us. Sin wants to hold people to a have-to over and over and over. There is this novel that was written in 1975, and television and movie adaptations of this novel um, come out, it seems like every, I don't know, 10 or 20 years, The Stepford Wives. Have you heard of it? The Stepford Wives. And The Stepford Wives is really uh, this uh, story about uh, a place in Connecticut. It's a fictional place in Connecticut where this couple moves in, and they start looking around, and they realize that every single woman in the town is like a robot. And, and everything, they're just incredibly compliant, and they do what they're told, and they do what's expected of them. But when you watch, if you watch the television adaptation, it's very interesting, and I've never heard it directly referenced, but if you watch the, the movie or the television adaptation, every smile of every woman is like this Parents, you know that from your kids. Hey, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. And it's just robotic right? Spouses, you look at your spouse, hey, everything okay? Yeah, I'm fine. There's, there's like a smiling that can happen without our eyes, you know, and, and that's what it is. There's like no joy in it whatsoever. And as I thought about this, and I'm thinking and chewing on this, just this passage, and thinking about Onesimus, and I'm thinking about Philemon, you know, if Onesimus were to just go back without this letter from Paul, you know what you'd probably have? Just Compliance. It would just be a relationship based on have to. Now, I want you to stop and think about something for a minute. Think about the different relationships you've got. You've got a relationship with yourself. How many times do we say to ourselves, I have to? Oh, I have to. I have to go to church, right? Relationship with God, we think, I have to. I have to make sure the attendance is marked once a week on Sunday. I have to, I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. And you know what we're doing? It's just going through a relationship like this. I'm try that today. See how it goes everywhere you go, all right? But our relationship with other people as well. You know, we can live in the have to. Now, Paul, you can already, you can already tell a, a bit of a hint of where he's going with this. But Paul goes somewhere first. He says, hey, we're going to make a stop here first. And he references the passage of time. Now, I just want you to stop and think for a minute. Where could we get a real-life example of the passage of time where there were relationships, that there was a pause in the relationship? Paul's going to reference a pause in the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Well, it's the last 18 months, isn't it? I mean, there, there are some churches I was reading about are just going to open their doors this next Sunday, okay? And that's not to make a comment on that. We, we ended up opening last uh, July, was it? I think it was July. We actually opened in May for a funeral for somebody here in the church. What I'm getting at is that there has been a pause of some kind of time in all of our relationships, especially with one another, and Paul is going to point something out with this passage of time. Here's what he says, verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you. And this is a play on words because Onesimus' name, the actual meaning of his name was useful. And so Paul's, he's, he's doing a little play on words here. He says, formerly, the guy whose name was useful was pretty useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. See, because he now follows Jesus, there is a use for him, and it's not—it's not the slave master slave relationship and structure that you that you had with him before, Philemon. Verse, uh, verse twelve: I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. In other words. Paul's helping us understand how Onesimus has been using this time. Onesimus has come to the understanding that he wasn't deeply, deep, deep, deep down lacking joy and unhappy because he was slave to another person. Deep down, Onesimus lacked joy and he was unhappy because he was a rebel against God. It wasn't because of his physical conditions, his material conditions. It was because of his spiritual condition. And there's a lesson there. There's a lesson there that have to is really a matter of the heart. If you and I, if we come back to church, go back to school, back to work, and everything's just have to, that's not the external structure of any of it. It's a condition of the heart. And now Paul's going to reference Philemon. Verse 14, he said, I'm sending him back to you, but I don't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be Voluntary. In other words, Paul referencing how he hoped this break in the relationship with Onesimus, how Philemon was processing it. That no goodness, Paul knew that goodness couldn't be forced, and virtue couldn't be squeezed out of Philemon, and that growth in Christ really couldn't be pressured. That Philemon had to make this choice, and so Paul refrains from saying, you have to do this. I'm... Paul's saying, I'm in some form an authority over you, Philemon, but I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to hold you to have to. And there's a lesson here, that we cannot hold one another to have to. If we do, it's a hammer. It's like holding a hammer to people. You've heard that quote, for the one who holds a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I mean, isn't that how we can go about relationships sometimes? We just hammer people with the have to and the have to and the have to. So he says, as Onesimus comes back to you, Philemon, let's not hold him to the have to that you guys knew before. Onesimus, as you go back to Philemon, let's not engage it with the have to of the heart. There's a better way. And so Paul presents an alternative next. <clears throat> Sorry, let me jump back for a second. Verse 15. Paul, Paul just ponders on something for a minute. He says, perhaps, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while. I want to stop there for a minute. Perhaps the reason, perhaps the reason for the pause, perhaps the reason for the time away from one another. Have you thought about that this last year? Like, God, what is the reason for what we've been walking through? And, and Paul's not even making like a, a, some high theological statement here. He's just saying, would you consider what the purpose of all this has been for? You know, some, and, and, and I can go there myself, we can jump onto conspiracy theories, right? And that's like the purpose of this last 18 months. And I got to tell you, if that's you, you are one of my favorite people to sit and talk with, okay? Uh, mainly because I just get out the popcorn and I listen and it's like, it's like I don't need Netflix anymore. I can just listen to this, okay? And there may be some truths to it. There may be. But what, is, what would be God's purpose of a pandemic in which churches shut their doors, the economy? We saw all, we've seen all that's happened to the economy. And we sit there and we think nothing good could come from it. And yet the reminder throughout Scripture is that what was intended for evil, God intended for good. God allowed good. God brought good through it. And so as you and I look at a pandemic and all the awful stuff that's come through it, can we look with the eyes of Christ and go, oh, he's gonna use even this. Perhaps that's the purpose of the pandemic. Perhaps there are some things that we need to get back to. Perhaps there are some things we should never go back to, like that have to of the heart. And here's where Paul offers an alternative. Let's read that verse in full. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave. And look at that, as a dear brother. And some of you are like, as a brother? No, that's like worse right now, okay? I know my sister's sitting here thinking, that's worse, That's just worse. No, but, but listen to the language here. Paul is moving Philemon, and he's moving Onesimus from this cold, robotic, obligation language to something more, something warmer. He's beginning to get into the language of family. He's saying, look, maybe the reason for all this isn't so everything would just go back to the way it was before, but it'd be something better, something eternal, something lasting. So the question for us, would you consider something better than have to Is you get back to what you do, whether it's school, work, church, relationships you haven't seen in a while, our friendships with one another? What if we got back to what Paul's getting at here? It's a get-to. It's an appeal on the basis of love. It's a movement from compliant, and I just got to check the boxes in my relationship with me, with others, with God, and it's something... It's more committed than that, from compliance to commitment. The reason Paul can say this, verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And keep in mind, Onesimus had to deliver this letter. He knocks on the door. Philemon answers the door, and there's Onesimus, who stole from him, who ran away, and he hands him a letter. And before he made any decision about Onesimus, he reads these words from Paul. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, listen to this, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Which just sounds like the guilt trip of all guilt trips right there, doesn't it? And yet throughout the letter, Paul's family warm language is not just about Philemon and Onesimus, but it's his language toward both of them as well. He said, look, we we could live here. We could live down here in the have-to. What if we lived in the get-to? Now, why would Paul say that? Why would Paul say, charge it to me? Because Paul had received that, hadn't he? Remember Paul? Paul. Paul lived in the have-to. Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew more than anybody knew. And then he met Jesus. And Jesus blinded him right there on the road to Damascus. And he said, look, I I could hold you to have-to, Paul. I I could really make things miserable for you. And Paul went through a lot even after that that moment. But Paul never forgot that God did not deal with him in the have-to. God looked at Paul and he said, I get to. I get to redeem you, Paul. I get to use you, Paul. I get to do this with you, Paul. That is, we're partners in this. God could have done it all by himself, but Paul, I want to include you in on it. And he looks at you and I and he says, I could have done it all myself, but I'm going to bring you in on it. And it's not have to. It's a get to. And so before... Before we're back, before we get back to have to, because this is kind of the, the rhythm we can get into every single fall or every single day, to be honest. Can we remember that God gave from get to? I and mean, you can see it all over scripture. Adam and Eve, remember? They're walking around in their leaves. They're hiding from God. And God goes, yeah, the leaves aren't gonna work. Like a windy day, a wintry day, it's just not gonna work for you, Okay. So what's he do? Under the banner of sacrifice, he provides animal skins. He provides something better. And it shows something about the relationship. Abraham's going to sacrifice Isaac. He thinks he has to. Right as he's about to do it, what does God do? Okay, stop. Stop. I'll provide the sacrifice. Mephibosheth, lame from birth, a descendant of Saul, King David's, you know, you could say an enemy at times. And it would have felt like that. And yet, how did King David with the heart of God, a, heart, a, a man after God's own heart, deal with him? He didn't say, Mephibosheth, even though you're lame, you gotta earn your keep, and you have to, you have to, you have to. He just said, come to the table. You will eat at my table. You will feast at my table always. Woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. They accuse her, and honestly, her accusers were right. What did Jesus do? He said, no, nah, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you, because it's a get to. Finally, for the joy set before him, we read in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, what did Jesus do? It wasn't a have to, because joy is not a have to, it's a get to, right there at the cross. For the joy set before him, God gave us a get to. And he said, I got to do that for you, You get to do that for others. That's why Paul can say that. Now, I look for slices of life where you see this, and of all places, I mean, if you look at me, you just know, you know where you saw this in the life of this last week? Britney Spears, okay? Britney Spears. Now, I don't keep up with all things Britney Spears, but... There's been this thing in the news, because we've all had more time to watch the news recently, about the relationship between Britney Spears and her father. And if you've paid attention to this, it's just been this incredibly rocky relationship. And he established what's called a conservatorship um, over her, where she was held to some have-tos. There were some obligations she had to meet, he had say, over how she used her finances, and uh, the choices she made, and, and even some medical decisions. Well, this last week, and I don't even know all the details. There are some that say that this was just with terrible motives and there's a strategy behind this. Do you know what her dad did after 13 years of holding her to the half twos of that? He said, I'm releasing you from it. I'm releasing you from it. Now, who knows? There may be all kinds of ugly details that come out. But as I read that, I just thought, gosh, there it is. There it is even there. I mean, this is like the world of entertainment, and most of us, this is like, we have better things to do and read and move on from, but I thought, there it is. That's what our father did for us. He could have held us to have to, what would he do? He said, no, 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 you're free. Your chains are gone. You can live in the get-to. And so over the next few weeks, this is my question for all of us, are we, are we coming back to with a heart of have to or of get to. When I think about all the different things that maybe for the first time in a year and a half I'm gonna get back to, how am I going about it? How am I going about every relationship? How am I going about my relationship with myself, with other people, with my heavenly father? Have to or get to? And then Paul puts this little uh, expectation there. And it's weird to say expectation because that feels very have to. But look what he says. Verse 20, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And earlier in the letter, he had said, Onesimus is my heart. Refresh him. Refresh my heart in Christ. As As I watch how you engage with him, refresh my heart. Confident of, the, of your obedience, verse 21. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And so as we sit here this morning, you know, some of us, the application is, is like Paul. It's what Paul's saying. You, you can, as you read this this week, I want you to go through and I just want you to count all the cold robotic words that Paul says he could hold Philemon to. You know, I, I, I could force you. You could be obligated. But Paul moves to much greater language, and he uses it much more, family language. Maybe for you, it's just how you think about people and how you think about yourself. Do we walk around and we say to ourselves, I have to all the time? Do we say about others, you have to, for me to be okay with you? Or can we, can we be warmer than that and recognize that this is a body. This is, a, as Graham said earlier, it's a family. It's warmer language. For some of us, we may need to hear what Philemon had to hear, right? We walk around, and it would be easy for Philemon in this case to say, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me. And we walk around, and we keep this mental spreadsheet. Of, I love spreadsheets, but I, I try not to do this, okay? But, oh, yeah, they owe me, they owe me, they owe me, they owe me. We all do this, right? Paul says, no. Let, let's get outside of owing one another. And Paul took it a step further. He said, you know what, whatever they owe you, I'll cover it. I'll cover it because Paul understood what reconciliation meant. I'll cover your offenses. I'll cover your shortcomings. If you're new here, um, I just need to tell you this. I'm having some trouble here, sorry. Um, We're going to let you down. We're just going to let you down. And I was waiting to hear a gasp, but I guess there's no gasp this morning. But can we just come back to that for a moment? we're going to let you down. And you're going to let me down. And as a body, as a church, we're just going to let you down. I I, I get nervous that the state of the American church is that we look for that perfect, perfect church. And as soon as we found that perfect church, I love what the founding pastor of this place said, George Kirsten. Some of you could probably recite this better than me. If you find the perfect church when you walk in, you just ruined it, okay? So there's your self-esteem boost for this week. (laughs) But we're all gonna let each other down and we can all point at one another and say, you owe me. Paul says, no, there's something greater than that. Something greater than that owing language. Finally, we we all can use the reminder that Onesimus got because every single one of us is an Onesimus to God. We robbed him, and we ran away from him. And what did he do? He didn't hold you to have to. He didn't hammer you with have to. He said, no, 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 I get to. I'll cover it. And so, I I invite you back over the next few weeks as we talk about some get-tos. As the worship team comes back up, I I want us to just think on this passage this week. Spend some time in this passage. And over the next few weeks, we'll look at some back-to's that Jesus highlighted, that Jesus spoke to us. And I'm telling you, when you get back to those back-to's and you live from get-to, then that abundant life that Jesus talked about when he came becomes a very real experience. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you whether, whether for, for some people, if this last 18 months, was, was they never even stopped. Maybe there was no break in what they were doing. Lord, I pray that your spirit and your word would refresh them. For those that maybe this is their first time back or the coming weeks are their first time back to something, Lord, would you just, would you keep this, your word, from this morning on our hearts that we could go back to the old way of doing things, to what sin tries to pull us back into, the have to of compliance. But Lord, give us eyes to see that and recognize that you've got something so much greater, that your abundant life goes far beyond that in the get-to, and why? Because that is your heart for every single one of us, but it's also your heart for every single person we come into contact with. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.